certainly a great blessing that we have to be here today. I'm thankful for the presence of everyone that's here in the audience this morning. You know, your presence here shows your interest in spiritual things. And I think that's so important. And that's the thing that we want to talk about this morning is our faith. You know, it's kind of a unique position to be in following up such a great meeting that we had last week. There was a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement about our meeting, and we just had some exceptional teaching. And, and your fear is that, that you don't want to let that down. And, and so certainly this morning, I hope that the things that I have prepared to bring to you this morning will be uplifting, that will continue to help you to have the enthusiasm that you need to have in your personal life, and that we all will be uh, better for being here today. Especially, I want to speak to the young people as we talk about the subject this morning. You as young people are going to be challenged, whether it's in high school or, or college or uh, trade school or entering the job market, whatever the, the situation that you're going to be in in the coming years, your faith is going to be tested. Your faith is going to be questioned. And I think it's so important that we as Christians continue to understand what the concept of faith is and how it looks in our lives and how we react to our faith. I'm going to use the story of Rahab this morning, an Old Testament story, and again, I think it's so important for us to go back and to look at those stories. There are so many things that we can make application to that will help us in our lives today, and so I hope that the things that we do as we consider these things are a benefit to all of us here this morning. So as we begin, I want, I want to just simply ask ourselves the question, what is faith? We use words like belief, hope, trust. All these words we use interchangeably at times with the word faith. But I want us to understand that faith is so much more than that. Hebrews 11 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence means conviction. When I think about faith and how it acts in our life, I think of what James said in James 2, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So as we look at these uh, verses that we read here this morning, I think that we can bring it down to this. A working definition of faith is belief with action. A belief that causes us to move with action to accomplish a certain task. Faith without works is dead, as James said. Faith is simply not belief. Belief is important. Belief is the first step, and it's foundational, but it has to be coupled with an action. James 2, 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Belief alone is simply not enough. When I think about our definition of belief coupled with action, I think about Noah. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, speaking of Noah, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, 
prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You see, the Bible says that Noah didn't just believe, but Moses, uh, Noah took action. He prepared an ark. He did what God told him to do. And we've talked about this story many times. If Noah had simply said, I believe you're going to save me, God, but he didn't follow through on what God directed him to do, would he have been saved? Certainly not. Let's think about it in this way. There was a tightrope walker that had set up a tightrope across a canyon. And he gathered there in the early in the morning, and there was a crowd that gathered around him. And uh, as he prepared, he asked the crowd, he said, How many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope across this canyon? There were a few people held up their hands and said, You know, I believe you can do that. So he did. He walked across the canyon, and he came back. By that time, there was a larger crowd that had gathered, and uh, people were cheering. He said, okay, I've got another trick. He said, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow that's especially prepared to, to go on this tightrope? Well, there were more people that time raised their hand. They had seen him walk across the tightrope, so they thought he could do it pushing a wheelbarrow. So he did. He pushed the wheelbarrow across the tightrope, and he came back. There was a very large crowd had gathered by that time. People were, were very excited. He asked him a, a third question. He said, okay, he said, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope with a person in it? People were very excited. They'd already seen him go across it twice, and they, uh, they cheered, and several people held up their hands and said, well, you know, I believe you can do that. His response was, okay, I need one volunteer. You see, that's where belief and faith are different. Faith would lead a person to get into that wheelbarrow. Faith is when our belief comes action and we are willing to put ourselves in a position of risk. That's what faith really is. Hebrews 11 verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, speaking of God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards faith time and time again. We as Christians must act in faith knowing that God is able to deliver on every promise that he's made to us. So as I said, we're going to study the story of Rahab this morning. But before we do that, I want to for all of us to get a picture of where we're at, what has happened up to this point, and, and we're going to relate a little bit of, a, of the story of the children of Israel. We know that God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for many years. God had heard their cry, and he sent Moses to deliver them. As we read that story, we find the many amazing things that God does as he leads his people out of Egypt. He brings Moses in to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh that, that he's got to let his people go. We see all of the many things that God performs and there were 10 plagues that God sent on, on Egypt. There was the plague of, of the water being turned into blood, the plague of darkness, locusts, all the different plagues. But finally, the final plague was the death of the firstborn. All of the firstborn children in Egypt died that night with the exception of the Israelites who had taken the blood of the Passover lamb and painted it on the doorpost of their homes, those people, their children, were spared. 
Pharaoh decides he's going to let the people go. They leave Egypt. They spoil Egypt as they go. They get out in the wilderness, and then comes their first test of faith. They come to the Red Sea. The people begin to complain and say, Moses, you brought us out here, and we're going to be killed. We're going to perish out here in the wilderness. Moses said to them, he said, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. And it's an amazing story as we read about Moses stretching out his staff over the waters of the Red Sea. And the Bible, it's an amazing picture to me to think about that the waters parted. Now this is a large body of water, a large amount of water, and it parts. And the Bible says that the children of Israel passed through on dry ground. You know, when God does something, he does it in great fashion. They didn't walk through in the mud. The Bible says they walked through on dry ground. So from this point on, God leads his people towards the promised land. He had promised them the very best. He wanted to deliver to them the very best that he had to offer. He brings them to Jordan. They send in the 12 spies into the land to, to search the land. We know the story how that all 12 spies come back and they say, they, they have a good report in that they say, it certainly is a land of blessing. It's, it's everything that God has told us and more. But 10 of the spies say, we can't do it. We're not strong enough. These people are great. We can't defeat them. They miss out on the very best that God has to offer because of their lack of faith. They've just witnessed everything that God has performed up to this point. The parting of the Red Sea, the escape from Egypt, the many things that God has done. They have been firsthand witnesses to what has happened. But they have a lack of faith. Because of that, God says you're not going to enter the promised land. He said this generation is going to perish with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And that happens. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Again, God prepares his people to go and to take the, the promised land. And he raises up Joshua as their leader. Joshua is now prepared to lead the people into the promised land. Let's read in Joshua 1, beginning with verse 5. It says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I walk with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So Joshua is raised up to be the leader of the people. They again approach the promised land, and Joshua sends in two spies this time. They go into the land, and he says, you especially go to the city of Jericho. Jericho was an extremely fortified city. As we read about it in history, it was amazing, the, the fortification. The walls were, were huge and, and really impenetrable but these two spies go into Jericho and they go to the house of Rahab what's the first thing that we think about when we hear the name Rahab the Bible tells us that Rahab was a harlot a prostitute not necessarily the typical person you think about building a sermon around it's not the typical person that you think is going to be listed alongside many other people of great faith. 
But I think it's very interesting for us to notice that the reason that we read about Rahab years later is not because of the mistakes she made, not because of the poor choices that she made, but because the choice of great faith that she made, the good decision that she made in her life. Let's begin reading in Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and who entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as they had pursued them and had gone out, they shut the gate. Now we pick up the reading here in the story of Rahab, and, and we may ask ourselves the question, why is Rahab doing this? Why is she putting her own life in jeopardy? As we continue reading, we'll find out why. In verse 8, let's read, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So again, I ask the question, why is Rahab helping them? Because she had heard the stories. Rahab was not an eyewitness. She had not seen actually what had taken place, but she had heard the stories. The stories of, of God destroying Pharaoh, she had heard them. The story of God parting the Red Sea, she had heard that story. The story of the, the kings that had opposed God's people and were destroyed, she heard that story. She heard these stories and they produced faith. I think it's very interesting to, to consider that here is a woman, a not a person of, of God's people, a foreign woman, and she's talking of the true God in heaven. Let's continue reading Joshua 2 with, uh, in verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, 
And she said to them, Go get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through the which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whosoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. The spies leave Jericho at this time, and they return back to the camp of Israel. And under the leadership of Joshua, the people prepare to cross Jordan. They then go to the city of Jericho, and, and the city of Jericho in itself is another amazing story as we consider the power of God. God directs Joshua to take the people and to march around the city for six days, and they do that. Six days, they march around the city one time. And on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. And Joshua says with a, that they are to shout, and with that shout, the walls will fall down. Let's read in uh, Joshua 6, beginning in verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. The city falls into the hands of the children of Israel. Joshua had commanded that everything was to be destroyed. Everything was to be burnt with fire, with the exception of the valuables and of the family of Rahab. Let's continue reading in verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent, out, sent to spy out Jericho. I want us to notice that for Rahab, everything had changed. The life that she knew was gone. The people that she knew, they were gone. Her life had been utterly turned upside down. She had heard all of the stories of Israel and of the God that they served, and she had faith. Now, there's three things that I want us to learn from this story this morning, and the first is that faith requires action. 
We talked about this in our definition earlier that belief coupled with action is truly what faith is. Rahab believed and she took action. She chose to hide the spies. She chose to deceive the king. You know, what if she had told those spies, you know, guys, I understand. I believe what you're saying. I believe that this is God, but I'm just too scared. I can't help you. Would she have been saved? Absolutely not. She wouldn't have been. She believed, and that belief led her to an action. The second thing that I want us to, to understand from this story is that God rewards faith. Throughout the New Testament, there are many instances where Jesus healed people, and he told them, your faith has made you whole. God responds to faith. Joshua saved Rahab and her family from the destruction of Jerusalem. Rahab had absolutely no power to save herself. Faith alone cannot save us. Rahab had a faith that led her to action, and thereby she reached the grace of God that he extended to her by Joshua. And that's how faith works. Faith alone cannot save us, but our faith coupled with action puts us in touch with the grace of God. Faith alone cannot save. God has always rewarded faith Remember the first time that the children of Israel came to the promised land? Their faith was weak. They missed out on what God had promised to them for their lack of faith, and they perished. The third thing I want us to understand about faith is that faith changes lives. Rahab's life was forever changed from that day forward. She couldn't go back to the people that she knew. She had no home to go back to. She was no longer a prostitute, but she was a, a part of the children of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. As we read in the book of Hebrews, we find all these different heroes of faith. And this woman Rahab is listed right along beside them. Something else that I think is so interesting when we consider the life of Rahab, not only is she listed in Hebrews, but if you will go to the book of Matthew and read the genealogy of Christ, you will find that Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Christ. That being said, Again, I want us to understand that this woman is not remembered because of the bad things that she did, but because of the good choices. She made proper choices after a certain point in her life, and she was blessed because of it. She obviously went on to have a family and to have an influence in that family, and she was used by God to do great things in his kingdom. I also find it interesting to know that Rahab had more faith than the children of Israel. All of that first generation that were eyewitnesses to what God had done for them, 
Time and time again, he delivered them. Time and time again, he fought their battles. They saw what he could do. They saw what he was capable of, but they had a lack of faith. Rahab didn't have that same experience. She had simply heard the stories, but those stories produced in her a faith. Many of you may have heard of a man in history named Charles Steinmetz. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He had a lot to do with the development of electricity. He was contemporary with Thomas Edison, with uh, Tesla, Albert Einstein, just a brilliant mind. And the story was told that uh, Henry Ford had a generator in his plant that, that broke down and wouldn't run. All of his engineers had tried uh, for days to get it running and they couldn't do it. So they reach out to General Electric that Mr. Steinmetz worked for and, and he came to the plant and they said he refused all help from others. He simply asked for a pen and a pencil and a cot to rest on. And for two days he studied that generator. He listened to it. He made computations on his pad and they said it towards the end of the second day that uh, he asked for a ladder. He climbed up on this huge generator and on a specific panel he, made an R, uh, he took out a piece of chalk and made an X on that panel and he told the engineers, he said, you remove that panel uh, where I've placed the X, replace 16 windings of wire on that coil and the generator will run. Well, he left and, and they did just that and, and the generator started operating again. Just a few days later, uh, Ford got an uh, invoice in the mail, just simply said services rendered $10,000. That was a large amount of money in that time, probably more akin to $100,000 in our money. So Ford was a little taken aback by it, and he said, you send it back and tell them we want an itemized statement. Steinmetz sent back a, a handwritten statement, and it said one piece of chalk, $1. Knowing where to make the mark, 9,999. Do you know that's really right? Faith comes down to knowing where to make your mark. Faith comes down to knowing what we put our faith in, what we do, the action that we take. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you the question, what does faith look like? If we're just going to make an assessment of our own life, the actions that we take, the things that we do on a daily basis, what does faith look like? Faith needs to be and should be a way of life for all of us, a life of commitment, a life of kindness and compassion. Young people, faith should be noticed as you go to class, as you interact with your peers. Faith is not choosing to speak the way that others speak. Faith is choosing to be different in your manner of life. For us, for us as adults, faith is making a business decision based on what's right, not what makes us more money. And that's a challenge. That, that's something that we face on a daily basis, don't we? Faith is moms on a daily basis pouring into the lives of their children, doing the things that they know will be a great dividend to the church in the future. 
faith is caring for others that can't care for themselves. Faith is dealing with the loss of loved ones and cherishing that memory, knowing that we will be together again someday in heaven. Rhonda recently had a conversation with a, a person in business that their business model in the past had been to, uh, to not serve al alcohol uh, in their service business. They had recently had changed that policy and had started serving alcohol. She told Rhonda, she said, I don't like the alcohol. I didn't want to do it, but we were losing business, and it's a business. She made a business decision not based on what her faith was, but on what affected the bottom line. What if we use that same example? If we just say it's a business, what if our young people say, well, it's just school. It's a different situation. I can act differently there. I can dress differently there. I can do different things, and it's okay. What if we use the same model in our personal lives? You know, it's just my family. I can go and do things with my family that, that I can't do uh, with other people. We simply can't do that. If we are people of faith, we've got to understand the example that we're setting in our lives on a daily basis. Our life as a whole has to be a reflection of our faith. Every aspect of our life should be a reflection of that faith. You know, ultimately, the decisions that we make in our personal life, our business life, our relationships, and with our peers, they are a reflection of our faith to the outside world. You know, we can say all of the right things, but if we don't do the right things, it shows a lack of faith. It shows where we truly put our trust. Rahab had it right. Another thing that I want us to, to notice in closing is that faith, when it comes to our faith, no one can choose for you who you will put your faith in. Not your parents, not your friends. Only you can make that decision. Only you can make that choice. And I simply ask you this morning, where will you put your faith? I leave the lesson with you this morning. If there's anyone here that is subject to the gospel call, we certainly would invite you to respond. If you've been taught and would like to uh, obey Christ in baptism, we would invite you to do that. If we as a church body here could pray with you and for you, we would also like to do that. So if you have a need in any way, we would ask you to come forward and, and make your wishes known as we sing the song of invitation.